You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, JT English. I'm here. You're here. I'm here. In the Check. flesh. Boom. Uh, and Jen Wilkin. Hey. Noted author, Jen Wilkin. You just showed us the cover of the is it second edition of Women of the Word? Yes. That's so fun. It is really fun. Yeah. The mm-hmm. cover looks crisp. Yeah. So little, fun. A little bit of an update. Such a great book. I had a crisis moment. I told you about this off air because I couldn't find it for a little while. They were transitioning mm-hmm. the copies. But it's back out there. Relief floods the room. Yes, yes, you can find your copy. On today's episode, we start our journey through the book of Acts, and we look at the ascension of Jesus. We look at some of the kind of expectations that the apostles would have had as they watched Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father, and then kind of how they made some decisions after the fact. So we hope you enjoy the discussion. Jan, why are you walking weird? Oh, my gosh. It's not weird. It's like a pirate walk. It is walks. like a pirate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like so pirates, pirate pirates walk pretty weird. Yeah. Peg legs. You know, yeah. happen. Um, well, um, I know that pride goes before a fall. And last night I learned what comes after a fall and? is stitches <laughs> and a tetanus shot. <laughs> we are, uh, we're in the process of moving into a house, which I've, told myself everything will be perfect there and nothing unhappy will sure. happen. That's what happens in heaven. So I, I'm not prepared to say that it was an omen of any sort when, <laughs> as I was carrying my favorite floor lamp into the new house so that it would not get hurt during the move, I face planted on the front steps and got three stitches in my knee. What were you, were you, you were just carrying a lamp? Uh, there was something in my right hand that I also was concerned. Well, why are you being so concerned? Well, what, what was it? It was a Whataburger chocolate milkshake. <laughs> How, did the milkshake make it through the fall? I am not kidding when I say I'm seated on the ground and I'm looking down at my knee thinking this is really not good. And then I look to my right and the milkshake is sitting next to me on the step completely unharmed. I feel like that's like that's the Lord, right? It is. Thank I mean, you, Lord. Yes. He, uh, yeah, in, in a man's heart, he determines his yeah. way, but the Lord... <laughs> The Lord Apparently the that. Lord loves Whataburger milkshakes well, about as much as I do. And that is a good thing. He gives yeah. every good and perfect gift. Yeah. Comes from above. Yeah. Uh, well, we're glad you're okay. We will make Are fun you? Because I feel like you're a little happy that I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not happy that you're not okay. I am thrilled that you're walking funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because... It's funny to watch it. Yeah, great. Uh, I mean, just, that's the short of it. Uh, uh, so, I mean, it's not like you haven't made fun of JT and I for, you know, our old age, our balding, right. our wrinkled right. faces. Just thinking about getting a walker or oh. is, that, is that a part of the... No, I'm mainly thinking about making up a better story to go with the injury. <laughs> I was being chased by a bear. A bear, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chased by a bear, <laughs> fell on a stair, yeah. Yeah, just a mm-hmm. rhyme that you'll tell right. to your grandkids one day. Uh, so today we're talking about the Book of Acts. Yes. The book of Acts. Why, mm-hmm. why are we talking about the book of Acts? Well, we're talking about it at the local church level because when we put together what we're going to do with our people, we're thinking in terms of scope and sequence. And so as a sequence issue for those who participate in the Bible study environments, we did, we bounced year to year from Old Testament to New Testament. And so when we were in the New Testament, most recently we did the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, what Acts does is it picks up where the Gospels leave off. Now, specifically, it picks up where the Gospel of Luke leaves off, um, which is 
makes sense since Luke wrote the book of Acts. Spoiler, Spoiler. alert. But uh, it will help, I think, for our people to get a seamless view of um, the church and yeah. of the works of Christ by taking them to that next, like to skip over that to the epistles would be to leave a big blank spot. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. If, but if somebody's not here at the village and they're like, I don't care about that. Oh, Book of Acts is good for you no matter where you are in your understanding of the Bible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so important for us. Uh, I, I love returning to the Book of Acts because it's a, a really incredible picture of kind of the church in movement, right. the church in motion, being mm-hmm. birthed out, mm-hmm. the way that the church was responding to what God was doing through the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It was such an interesting time in church history because it's the beginning of church history. Right. If you, I mean, speaking of the church in New Testament terms, and it is... Um, so there are no mature believers really to speak of. Right. Well, that's fascinating in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have all of these, everything's new. Yeah. Everything's new. And, and I think we can't even imagine what it would be like to live in a time like that. And that's part of the reason I enjoy the opportunity to go through Acts is because we, this is a good example of a book where we come to it with a lot of presuppositions based yeah. on our experience of being a believer or our experience of being in maybe uh, different denominations that emphasize different things yes. about the Trinity. Yeah. And uh, so it's a good opportunity to just come to the text and try to um, shed those things. It doesn't mean that we won't pick some of them back up on the flip side, but to just come to the text and 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 take it as a historical narrative that is telling us uh, a particular thing about a particular time for a particular reason. Yeah, it, it, it it's really interesting because uh, oftentimes when you talk to somebody about the book of Acts, uh, if they've kind of had, you know, if they've done some Bible studies or if they're kind of vaguely familiar with the story of scripture, there's kind of a, a notion that kind of lurks out there that in the book of Acts, you kind of get the church and it's really like... Purest, uh, purest form, yeah. form. Mm-hmm. like like oh wow! Before it became, uh, before it became acclimated to power, mm-hmm. and before it became mm-hmm. uh, all these different kind of institutional things set in. This is just the the church together, kind of in this purity. There's kind of like a Edenic view mm-hmm. uh, of like, man, this is a return. We and, almost talked about it like we would Genesis one, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. And you know, they'll go to like Acts two, and they'll be like, like they shared everything together. Yeah. We should be like that. We should be like that, and we should do all the things that they were doing, and not to realize that there is like some really, there's stuff in Acts that seems like nobody bats an eye about that you do not want happening right. <laughs> in the church. Well, you're a church planner. I, uh, you know, are you having an Edenic experience over uh, there at Mosaic Richardson? Um, <laughs> the Lord has been good. Uh, <laughs> I would not say it's been pristine. Um, and, and But neither was it for the church in Acts. Exactly. Right? It's not God's plan. Exactly. exactly. And so, um, so, okay, so Acts is this historic, you said historical narrative. Yes. So tell me, uh, JT, like when we're thinking about historical narrative, what is historical narrative in terms of the canon of scripture? So like there's some books that we would say are written as historical narrative. How is that different than like another genre in scripture? Yeah, so historical narrative is trying to root God's people in things that are actually happening in history or happened in history. So Luke is writing this to Theophilus, but ultimately he knows this is going to be read outside this one reader. And he's trying to say, these are the things that God was doing in the life of the local church. He's telling the story of what happened, and he's rooting it in actual historical data and facts. This is not poetry. Yeah. This is not some kind of genre. Like, uh, this is not a gospel. Right. right. This isn't an account of the life of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, this is not a letter written to a church. It's written to a, a big community. This is a letter that is telling the story of the earliest days of the church. Yeah. 
And it's important to remember with any historical narrative that you need to keep in view that it is written with an agenda. So when we think of history, we think of it as this pure thing that is objective. And the writers of historical narrative in the Bible didn't think of it that way. They saw it as a way to make a point. And in fairness, that's what every historical retelling is when you get down to the base of it. Uh, But because it's historical narrative, one of the genre rules that you want to pay attention to that is not always intuitive for Bible readers is to be asking, is what I'm reading descriptive or prescriptive? And that's one of the big tensions that you address. Oh, I think that's the first time someone has said tension in season three. Uh, I think so. That we get like uh-huh. talking about Christianese uh-huh. bingo. Living like, in the tension there. between descriptive and prescriptive. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually not so much that you're in a tension as it is that you're, I, you're paying attention to yeah. whether you are reading something that is telling or that is exhorting. Yeah, yeah, that's I good. Think, uh, we also have to be careful with historical narrative. This, this also would include the Gospels as... The, the authors are trying to do something that's highly structured and yes. stylized. Yes. yes. Like they've spent decades thinking about how am I going to put this together in a way that is making a very important theological point. Yeah. They're intentionally not including material yep. and they're yes. intentionally including material in specific points. This isn't just like a newspaper reporting of like, yes. here are the things that happen in these days. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do something that really the more you spend time understanding the structure and the style, you begin mm-hmm. to see beauty yeah. and you realize this is... This is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Luke, uh, Luke could have sat down and write, wrote, uh, written, wrote, write. How written, you doing, Kyle? Written. I'm like on re- repeat right now. Like my internal software just, just had a bug. Um, keep going. I'm but, enjoying uh, it. But just listed a bunch of bullet points. Yeah. This happened. Then this happened. Mm-hmm. This happened. Or then drawn this a happened. timeline. Or drawn a timeline. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. Mm-hmm. He wrote a story, and it's it is a true and factual history, but it does have purpose and mm-hmm. it's stylistic in nature. So we've mentioned that Luke wrote it. Who's Luke? He's the doctor. The good doctor. Yeah. Luke. Yeah. He's not one of the original 12. He is someone who has had access to the original 12, from what we can tell. Mm -hmm. And um, because he, I love that because he is a doctor, we can say, oh, he's probably someone whose personality was like X, Y, or Z. And so this story is told a particular way because it's written by someone who has that personality versus someone who has another personality, even though, of course, the Holy Spirit is the the author of all scripture. So um, he is going to be taking the accounts that he has heard secondhand and presenting them in a way that builds a compelling picture and a compelling argument for the authenticity of the witness to the resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and he's writing it for a purpose. He's writing it to, you've mentioned Theophilus. Yeah, so Theophilus, mm-hmm. there's some debate over, is Theophilus kind a of a made up person? A because the, because yeah. the name actually just means lover mm-hmm. of God. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, I think it's probably written to a person mm-hmm. with the, also the idea that it's going to be written to a, a large, or it's going to mm-hmm. have a larger reading than this mm-hmm. one person. And so it's written to, I mean, let's just read, read the verse. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, that's talking about the gospel of Luke, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that's that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after the, his suffering and many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking. And now he's going to shift the attention to, now what does the ascended Jesus, who's mm-hmm. giving his church the Holy Spirit, how is he going to continue to act as the ascended Lord in the heavens through his church? Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. And in terms of the timing around this, there's a lot of debate about just about anytime you're looking at any New Testament book, you're going to hear somebody say, well, there's a lot of debate about when this book was written. 
by and large. Mm-hmm. But this is one where uh, it seems like we might say, just broadly, it was written around AD 70, right? Yeah, I thought you were going to say 80. No, 80, 70. So, yeah. and the reason for that is there's a huge historical event that happens in 70 AD, yeah. the destruction of the temple. And there's no allusion to that at all here. Right. Uh, even, even kind of subtly. It yeah. seems like the temple is intact, that that, uh, that Jerusalem is not under siege, so it's probably written before 70. Right. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, I like the way he says this. It's it's the nuance of a scholar, and I love when they do something like this because it gives them... It, one tells you everything you need to know and then doesn't say too much. Mm-hmm. He says uh, that the book of Acts is written toward AD 70. Hmm. Like, toward. Like, it's like... Uh, he's nice. like He's like essentially saying, like, probably before, uh, but I don't want to say definitively before, right. but it is written around AD 70. And the, the, the absence of a definitive mention of the destruction of the temple certainly seems to suggest that it, it happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was a, such a huge cataclysmic event. It's hard to imagine this book being written without that being mentioned. Right. And so when we... Jump, well, generally, yeah, I'm sorry please, to interrupt no, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, but... Yeah. Anytime you're talking about dating a New Testament book, that is the litmus test that yes. it's the, the the consistent litmus test that it's placed against. So you'll hear us say that a lot when we talk about New Testament writing. And then there are dates in the Old Testament that are like that that help us date when a book is written. Significant dates. You guys want to hit the high water marks on those? Go for it. The the dates of the exiles. Yes. Um, so the Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exile. Yeah. And then um, Edict of Cyrus. Yeah. So and and so that's why it. it would not hurt as a as a Bible student to just have a general timeline yeah. that you kind of you might even keep it like on a bookmark in your Bible of when those dates happen, just so that you're anytime you start reading a book, you go, okay, well they're telling me it was written about here. Why would they say there versus somewhere else? And then you can start looking in the text uh, so that you know, oh, scholars don't have to just tell me this. I can mm-hmm. see where where that scholarship is coming from. And it can be confusing if you read Acts before the rest of the epistles. You might get this sense of sometimes when you were reading the Bible, you're like, okay well then this happened and then like this happened and then this happened mm-hmm. and our canon isn't built chronological like mm-hmm. chronologically like that mm-hmm. there is some chronology in the canon so I'm not going to say that no book that comes after any other book isn't after that book chronologically but our, the canon isn't built that way it's not assembled that way mm-hmm. and so a great example of this is that the book of Acts doesn't mention Paul dying when you get to um, when you get to the end of Acts Paul it seems to be in Rome and we know that eventually Paul would go on to die in Rome. Right. But he's there, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like ministering and teaching. So we don't get the end of that story there, even though we know that it ended. So it's not like the book of Acts is like, it's not telling the definitive history of everything else that happens in the New Testament. And But what you do get through the book of Acts is a guide for what Peter and Paul and the other apostles, what they're doing yes. kind of in those early first years, mm-hmm. where they're going. You get some snapshots of their journey. And most of the time, the context that you have for any of the other letters in the New Testament, you're going back to Acts to get a lot of that context. Yeah, which is why it's such a cool thing to study. Because, uh, frankly, the book of Acts is 28 chapters long, and we don't often make... It's not 29 chapters? No, contrary to... (laughs) popular belief. Uh, you're hilarious. So the the book is long enough that it isn't always tackled in a Bible study format from start to finish, or it is a secondary or tertiary choice by anyone who's choosing curriculum because, oh, we could study Ephesians because it's only five chapters long. Or, Wait, hang on. Oh, so, well, you're actually hey, studying uh, Ephesians? Hey, and, hey, and just from a biblical literacy standpoint, <laughs> Ephesians is six chapters long. Oh! oh. oh. <laughs> I need 
another cup of coffee. Um, uh, but it doesn't but matter. How long it's is short. Jude? Wasn't that your last Let's big keep going. study you got so into? In Acts one. Uh, that would make up that extra chapter. Okay, so um, but so we do have a tendency because we feel ta- we feel a calendar crunch to gravitate toward the epistles mm-hmm. over other choices in the New Testament, which means that we can often give our people an experience of the epistles that is removed from the historical context in which they occurred. Yeah, and so when you so Acts is uh, it's the ground level view of the ecosystem in which the epistles are written. That's a really great way of saying it. Uh, and it kicks off on a really big note, doesn't it? Acts. It, it, Acts it 1 yeah. begins with Jesus leaving. Starts with, which is kind of a surprise opening probably yes. for the people who were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why is Jesus leaving? Where is he going? Well, I mean, I think the expectation is probably to, to talk about their think the, the last thing on their mind expecting? is right. yeah. Jesus leaving. Yeah. You can see their expectation mm-hmm. in verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's very so, significant Oh, it's statement. huge. I mean, so they're thinking back to the promise made to Abraham and then to mm-hmm. Isaac and then to Jacob and then yeah. to Moses and then to uh, uh, David and Solomon and then to the exiles return. Like this is the Old Testament question. Are you giving us Eden again right. or this re-Edenized world, mm-hmm. this, this place where we get to dwell in your presence, enjoy your fellowship? You're now the resurrected Lord, yep. mm-hmm. your king, are you going to restore the kingdom now? So, I mean, they feel like they're on the precipice of world history, mm-hmm. that all of God's activity from beginning in Genesis 1 is about to come to its fulfillment. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times. It's not, it's not for you to know the seasons of the Father, but rather you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. I'm leaving and my mission is going to continue through you. I mean, this would be shocking mm-hmm. for, for the earliest disciples and for the earliest church because Jesus has just defeated death right? and he's now saying, now it's your mission. right? Take my resurrection life into the nations, preaching the good news of the crucified and resurrected Messiah by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, this is, if people want to talk about the authenticity of scripture and the truthfulness of its claims, no human imagination could come up with a message like this. Mm-hmm. Right. I've just defeated death now you go take my mission to the world. It's like, you just beat the enemy of all enemies. You take your mission forward. Yep. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is the mission of the church. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so they're stunned. Stunned. They're absolutely stunned. stunned. And he tells them, hey, don't worry. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses, right? And, and the mission's really small. I mean, it's only Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends yeah, of the earth. earth. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of everywhere. Every, so go tell everywhere. everybody. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so they have this resurrected Lord who's giving them a universal mission to proclaim the universality of the kingship of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they're supposed and to go do. And, and, and he tells them, I'm going to send you yep. the Spirit, yeah. yep. the helper. I'm going, I'm going to be with you by the Spirit. This is where Kyle and I go back to Trinitarianism because mm. we always do that. Because one I of the would qu- like to come too, guys. You can do it if you want. Come on. Are, you, are, you, are you one? <laughs> yeah. Great. Because uh, sometimes there's debate over like, how should this book be appropriately titled? Mm-hmm. Is this the Acts of the Apostles? Yeah. Is this the Acts of the Holy Spirit? Is yeah. this the Acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the church? Mm-hmm. And the reality is all of, all of those are true. Yes. None, of, none of those are untrue. But, but where's I, the emphasis? Yeah, I, so I would say one of the one of the resources I read that this is emphasizing the acts of God right. in yep. history. Yep. God the Father has now given all power to Christ, who has mm-hmm. ascended, who is now working through His Spirit 
in the life of the church. Yeah. And so I actually think it's probably too minimalistic to say it's the acts of the apostles or the Holy Spirit or even Jesus. Mm -hmm. All of these must be emphasized because Mm -hmm. I think that's what Luke is trying to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Luke is trying to elevate and highlight this one mission of God, Father, Son, and Spirit is now shared in the mission of the church. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Father and the Son sends the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Spirit sends the church. The Son sends the Spirit, the church. church, and the Spirit goes with them. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Okay, so how does he leave? What is that called, this act? We, we've called it before the ascension of Jesus. Yeah. JT calls it the forgotten act of Christ. Yeah. It is. I mean, because if, if he does not ascend, the gospel's not true. Good well, thing it's in the creeds, am I right? Oh, you are perfect. right. Good it, symmetry. Yeah. Like the, this ascension, the, these verses 6 through 11 in chapter 1, are a must. Yeah, mm-hmm. but why? Why the? Why is this? But we know, we really don't talk about it. We a don't. Lot. Well, I mean, they just put it in perspective. We well, first off, we don't ever acknowledge. Well, rarely do we acknowledge Pentecost Sunday. Mm-hmm. So there, there you go, right mm-hmm. there. And then very rarely are we acknowledging Ascension Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the ways to think about this is, what do you lose if he doesn't? And you lose fellowship with God. Yeah, you what, absolutely. Do. What Jesus is showing is that I have defeated Satan's sin and death. I've resurrected and I'm now going to incorporate a human into God's divine life. Mm -hmm. So right now you have the God man, Jesus, enjoying fellowship with the triune God, Mm -hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving us a picture of what our future is. Uh, I think I shared this quote when we did the Ascension. I I forget actually who said it right now, but it's it's this idea that when you die, you'll be welcomed with a human hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it, it, well, he might have said something like that, but that's not the quote I'm thinking okay. of. But the idea is, is that it's true. Yes. Is that Jesus is now in the heavens and he ascends and we're welcomed by Jesus of Nazareth when we are welcomed into fellowship with God. That's good. That's good. And this is how the New Testament conceives of, they, they I mean, Paul absolutely sees the ascension yeah. as crucial to yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, he, he who ascended is the one who also ad- descended far, you know, right? That's far right. above all things. And he led with him a host of captives, giving mm-hmm. gifts to men. So like the, the New Testament imagination is absolutely shaped. Yes, by the cross, by the resurrection, but also 
the ascension of Jesus. I was listening to a podcast the other day that they say far better than I'll be able to now, but they were talking about this uh, Second Temple Judaism spiritual practice of meditating on the presence of God in the heavens. Hmm. And so they're they're trying to so think of like Isaiah chapter six. Mm-hmm. You have Isaiah the prophet meditating on what God's throne room is like. You have this in Daniel, again, thinking about the ancient of days and the son of man. And so they were, they, they were saying there would have been this common practice the same way we talk about daily Bible study or the same way we talk about meditation on scripture, that they would spend time meditating on the heavens and thinking about the train of his robe or yeah. thinking about the angels flying around and praising. And we see that consistently in the Old Testament. And that's significant here. Because what Luke is trying to say is when you meditate on the heavens, if you're a second temple uh, Jewish man or woman, is you meditate on now a person, Mm -hmm. Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. You think about the man who you've just seen, crucified, resurrected, and now ascended. You don't have kind of an amorphous, transcendent God that you don't know. You meditate on a person. And that's exactly what happens then to Paul on the road to Damascus. Right, Right, absolutely. Paul's on this road to Damascus, probably meditating on God. He he feels himself as a, I mean, he is a zealous religious elite. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking about being on God's mission. And then who does he meet in the heavens? This one who's just ascended. Well, and Luke is is very uh, pointedly taking his readers to an Old Testament passage that would exactly. have been, as you're saying, meditated on by someone who was faithfully wanting to meditate on God in the heavens. Yes. And it's Daniel chapter 7. Exactly. When he uses the language, when it says in verse 9, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Then his Jewish listeners certainly would think, oh, that sounds really, really familiar because the prophet Daniel in his vision says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. That's mm-hmm. Daniel seven thirteen. Then it says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And what I love about the connection to this passage is that what the disciples have just asked him is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Yes, yeah. And so basically it's it's inviting us into the that already not yet thing of uh, yes and no. Yeah. So Absolutely. And and the the that's a, the Daniel seven passage is exactly what I was thinking of here. And the men, the, the the two men in white robes, uh, yeah. they, they kind of give you. So Jesus has just said to them, "Hey, listen, it's not for you to know, right? Uh, whether the times or the seasons." Mm-hmm. And so that kind of ends with like, you know, if you're the disciple, you're like Jesus has just left. You've been following mm-hmm. him. He's conquered death. You're, def- you're there's a sense in which you're definitely deflated. Mm-hmm. I would have. Oh my right? goodness! And then. Uh, you have the two men in white robes who come to them and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love that it ends there because I just imagine, like, I think that captures that tension between the already and the not mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Jesus tells them, I'm going. You will not know whenever I'm going to come back. It's not for you to know, but don't worry. I'm going to send you the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. My presence will be with the Holy Spirit. And so then, but then you're still kind of waiting. You're like, the Holy Spirit hasn't come. It's not going to come for a little bit longer, right? It's not going to descend upon the people at Pentecost yet. Hasn't happened. And so they're waiting there. Jesus, their their leader, their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord, their conquering king has ascended. And then you have these two men who go, hey, why do you stand staring up? Mm -hmm. The way that Jesus has ascended, he will come back that way. I like, I just think about that kind of assurance and that confidence that they gave 
that the two, uh, the angels, uh, were able to provide to the the disciples. Mm-hmm. There. So okay, then it feels like I I, I don't I don't want to move past this, but it does feel like a little bit of a hard right turn, <laughs> right? No. No? I make all decisions by casting lots. Okay, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> so it's like, wow, this huge climactic moment. And Don't you the, trust in the providence of God, Kyle? It says in verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And it lists off the people that were there. All these were devoting themselves to prayer. And in those days, Peter stood up and said, Hey, we got to come up with more disciples. More. Yeah. And then they were like, okay, cool. Let's make this decision. Let's play dice. Let's roll some dice. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about <laughs> what actually happens here. And I think this presents us a good moment to come back to something we've mentioned about historical narrative in general, which mm-hmm. is the distinction between descriptive mm-hmm. and prescriptive. Oh. Mm-hmm. Am I not supposed to cast lots? You're not. Okay. That's not. <laughs> I'm not saying that you can't. Is I'm that just saying how that. how you hired me, JT? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, that, and every day since, I've wondered, <laughs> should we keep doing this? Every, and every morning, rolling. the Lord has smiled upon you. And it kept rolling. So what's what's going on? Well, first off, what happens? What do they do? Let's just... But they're not just looking for disciples, because there's 120 there, right, the text right, right, says, right. and there's men and women. They're looking for something specific in this office mm-hmm. of 12. What is that? The 12th man. Oh. Okay. Come, don't... Were you wanting me to whoop? I was. I thought, like, no, wow, I was, I was not, throwing that up as a no, softball to you. So. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Can we start this whole episode over? What, because of that moment? Yeah, Kyle. Okay, I'm not even an Aggie. I did that for you, and I feel like it's been spurned, but whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to get on your level. But they're doing something specifically that's deeply theological here. Okay. 11 is different than 12 in the Bible for what purpose? 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. And so they're viewing this as a as a moment of fulfillment of God continuing his mission through these 12 tribes of Israel that 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 these men and men in particular are fulfilling what was promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, which is why there must be 12. Why not just be kind of a pragmatist and say, well, I mean, we've got 120 people here. Really, why do we need to cast lots for another? Right. Mm-hmm. It's because he's making a theological point that right. that these 12 must be 12. Because they're the apostles, they're the ones who are being sent out. It's not just a disciple, it's an apostle. And it's not completely random because they do, they're like, they yeah, there was a vetting process before the casting of lots. Yeah, but still, they cast lots. So <laughs> one of the men, so it's got to be somebody who accompanied us during the time uh, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning, they give a marker beginning from the baptism mm-hmm. of John mm-hmm. until the day when he was taken up from us. So, like the ascension, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two people. Mm-hmm. And then they cast lots. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, tell me why. I, <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're a reader, uh, because I think that we um, we what would what would we have done? We would have said, oh, you know, let's let's find the best candidate, or let's, what are all you know, of our enneagram numbers? Right. right. We would have wanted someone who was a good mix we for the good team. Chemistry, chemistry. And I kind of feel like a little of what's happening here is they're like, you know what? Either of these guys would be awesome. Mm. So let's let's roll let's just roll the dice because we believe that you know the that every cast of the lot is governed by the Lord. That was a terrible paraphrase. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Yeah. It's Proverbs sixteen thirty three. Which doesn't mean you would be like, oh, so I'll just roll the dice for everything, sure. you know. But I, I, I think I've always kind of wondered 
what did the other guy think? Like, what happened to Joseph called Barsabbas after he doesn't get the dice roll? Well, neither of these guys are ever mentioned. Again. Right. Yeah. Like, right. This is their this is their moment. Right. And both the guy that get that wins mm-hmm. the casting of lots and the guy that loses. <laughs> right. This is the high moment for both of them, at least in terms of mentions. In but the Bible. I, I don't you think maybe this is a little bit of a leveling understanding of you know what the Lord chooses who He chooses. Yeah, There's no exactly shame. Right. Like Joseph doesn't walk away from this feeling like oh sorry buddy you know I mean it's like it's like this is this is just who the Lord said for this time and there was still good work for him to do Uh, and so I actually kind of love it 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 highlights I think the also the anonymity uh, that's Mm -hmm. important in Christian ministry it says that these two men were with them from the Mm -hmm. beginning right Mm -hmm. wasn't like these guys showed up at the resurrection they've just been following Christ through all of his ministry Mm -hmm. right and all of a sudden, there's a moment to fulfill a role, and it really doesn't matter who takes it in in their perspective. Mm-hmm. They want God to be the one who says, "This is this is my choice." That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, and I actually, and I think on on another side, as even as we're talking about it, isn't there such a hand wringing that takes place when people come to two equally good wise options as Christians yes. and you can see them agonize over uh, God must have one of mm-hmm. these definitively mm-hmm. and until I know for sure I can't move can't forward. make a move yeah right? and so as opposed to like Augustine's you know love the Lord your God and do what you want right <laughs> yeah. like love God trust God and then do as you please and, and how many times pastorally are we walking with somebody and we're like listen this is not a black and white this is a wisdom issue right like either of these things are like you're not going to thwart the purposes of God because he's in control and you've done your due diligence they've done their due diligence well they've already addressed the wisdom issue right. now it's it's six of one half a dozen of another that's I'm reading six of one half a dozen of another here you can tell me if, if that's no, not I, the I case th- I think that's from, a, from a human wisdom standpoint there is not one person who is discernibly a better candidate yeah. than the other. And that's the point at which many Christians switch into, but the Lord has a secret he's keeping from me here that I have to figure out which one of these guys is the one I was supposed to have perceived right. to be more of a better candidate than the other. And yeah. we do this with a thousand decisions. Right. And and the reality is that most, many of the decisions that we're going to face in life are morally neutral choices. Yeah. And so... What we see, I think, here with the disciples, too, is a sense of urgency to fill the position Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. So they could have spent three months waiting for uh, a fleece to be wet or dry. Mm-hmm. Or they could say, you know what? Either of these people, by our wisdom measures, is a good person. So let's just keep the process yeah. moving. And for our purposes, as we consider the book of Acts, and as you read along with the book of Acts, um, this is a point to mention that when we look at historical narrative like this, this is an instance in which we're getting something that is a descriptive account. Mm-hmm. And there we can draw right. wisdom from that. We can draw out some uh, foundational truth from that. Mm-hmm. But we would not want to take a passage like this and be like, okay, Therefore, this is how you this determine. This is our process yes. for determining. Our lead pastor search lead committee pastor, is going to count. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Or I'm making a job change. Let me just, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Roll the dice, right? Um, and but Jesus Himself called the twelve, and and Judas was among them, right? Exactly, and not yes. because Jesus didn't know that. That's not what I'm implying. But that step um, away, she's going to hit by a lightning <laughs> bolt. <laughs> no, but like they've already lived their worst case scenario for having someone on the team who is not who was a good choice, you You're know, right. uh, from from human standards. You're and so right. the other thing I think they're probably thinking is <laughs> if we cast lots and the one dude who gets on the team turns out to be a stinker, well, the Lord's going to come through with someone else. We've been there. Yeah. <laughs> We've been there. 
Oh, that's the thing. I guess that my point there is just that we believe that God will only bless us if we choose the right choice, mm-hmm. which is, that's just Christian karma. Yeah. Um, but what I think we're seeing here is um, make the choice because you don't serve outcomes. You serve the God of all outcomes and he can deal with any decision on, on the other side to bring, bring about his will. Yeah. Absolutely right. Can I ask a, a Bible interpretation question? Sure. No. Jen. What? This is for you. Well, Kyle, I want your thoughts too. Mm-hmm. But I, I I think I'll be really interested to hear what you say, knowing kind of your method, Jen. Peter gets up and gives a little little mm-hmm. speech here. And he gives a speech and he says, what is it? Verse 16. Mm-hmm. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of of David David. concerning Mm -hmm. Judas, who became a guide to those who are arrested. And then there's a bit more. And then later down, he talks about this field of blood that had been purchased for it's written in the book of Psalms. This is verse 20. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. What do you think about Peter's Bible interpretation skills? (laughs) Well, um, I I don't have an issue with them because so this is this is but, <laughs> I feel right. like you're trapping me. Yes, that's exactly what he's trying and to I do. And I don't too. like I'm it. I'm not JT. trying to trap you. I'm sorry. I'm really not. I'm trying to point out, which is I think a big conversation right now is is in most seminaries mm-hmm. or Bible college or pulpits, they would say don't read the Bible the way Peter's reading the Bible. Yeah, because that's not what David meant. Mm-hmm. Because we have a specific understanding of what the human authorial intent is. Right. Now, you, now they, they would greenlight what Peter did here, and they would say he's an apostle. Well, he's an apostle, yeah. and mm-hmm. he has. He, but but then the question becomes: Well, should I not try to read the Bible the way Peter read the Bible? And if not Peter, who? Right. Because if the like, what what model should I follow? Because if the apostles aren't the model, then who because if it? you're if you're following like a strict a strict kind of like. Uh, historical grammatical uh, historical grammatical observe the text interpret the text and apply the text which is a very good method Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to but I'm trying to say it does have some weaknesses when you get to a passage like this because if you're reading the psalm that he's referring to you would never think well this is Judas Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. is going to be the field of Judas and they should therefore cast lots to select another but Peter is using the text that way Mm mm-hmm yeah, it doesn't bother me. I don't know if you were expecting. No, I, I was genuinely asking. Well, w- so and also, uh, you know, I, I've as I said, I've been spending a lot of time in Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews is yeah. just oh, playing fast time. and loose, so yeah. to speak, yeah. with you know Psalm one hundred and ten yep. and yep. whatever he wants, and That's he pulls really in fragments, and he. I love the one part in Hebrews where he goes, "For it is said somewhere," <laughs> and then he, and then it's it's Genesis one one, right, like it's correct. like, dude, you knew the reference for that, ones. you know? Right. I mean, like I get that you couldn't have pointed out the number of the <laughs> Psalm you just quoted because they weren't numbered, but Genesis one one, you right. know. So, uh, <laughs> I, and I I always read those those applications that they're doing where they're pulling forward these Old Testament texts. And I read it actually uh, almost as an exhortation that perhaps one day I would be so familiar Mm. with those texts that they might begin to take on deeper dimension for me as they clearly did for those guys. That's good. But I don't think, obviously, it, it, it would be crazy to say, oh, they're doing something wrong. It's, you know, it's not crazy. It's, well, I, think it, I think it's crazy, but there are a lot of people who yeah, don't so think I it's I would crazy. not say that. I read it as, I've got a long way to go. Uh, I love that. That's yeah, really good. That's really Kyle? good. Uh, I think very similarly, I actually, um, if I could take, my, take us out of just uh, 
the book of Acts for a moment or this example, one of the ways, one of the areas where this was most formative in understanding how it could shape you was reading the early church fathers and seeing how yes. they, like, yep. like if you read Augustine's Confessions, which is a mm-hmm. great book that you should read, it is crazy. Like sometimes it's hard to see where his thought begins in the scripture he's mm-hmm. referring to. It just is so bled in mm-hmm. to his life, into his thinking, and he has meditated on it so deeply. Uh, this is kind of getting along yeah. with what you're saying. Uh, with where he begins to, it becomes knee-jerk to read all of life through the story and witness of scripture. It's like a tapestry. Exactly. It, 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 it's like one, it's like lots of fabrics that become one. Yes, and so he's like, so when something's happening to him, it, you know, even if, um, even if he wouldn't you know, even if it wouldn't pass an exegetical class, his knee jerk is to read what's happening in the world or in his life or another part of scripture and immediately see it in light of this whole thing. Well, and I think, you know, JT, you're, you're, I think what I hear you say when you talk about historical critical is um, that it has a distaste for allegory. Am I wrong about it's that? It's not just allegory. I think that it, it has a, I think that's part of it. I think what I'm getting at is it, it can't, and doesn't emphasize that there are two authors of every text. Right. Okay. Not yeah. just one. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and and so when I'm teaching in Bible study, mm-hmm. um, the emphasis that I'm often, the overemphasis that I am often combating is that people think, oh, it's mad. The text is magical yes. because the Holy Spirit yep, is speaking yep. through it. Like a magic eight ball reading yeah. of scripture. So when I'm pushing people towards using observation, interpretation, application, it's not because I think it's the be all end all tool for reading scripture. It is a phenomenal tool. It's I'm because I to. think it is the currently most neglected one among the average fair. student. And, this, and this gets at what is like, again, has been a healthy tension between us working yes. together as a team, which is there is, particularly in Bible study, in inductive Bible study environments, can I call that, is that what? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we're not, we're not supposed to say it out loud. Okay. Well, great. Well, but in Bible study environments, line by line, like mm-hmm. line by line Bible study environments, there that you have to do, you should do that. Mm-hmm. And then in our background, with more of a systematic theology leaning, you're kind of constantly trying to be like, here's how this one piece right here is like all of it fits everything else, yeah. everything else. Yeah. And you you have to have both. You have to here. Mm-hmm. And, no doubt. Um, and I think that when you it's when you really get out of whack that you're like one of them to the extreme. Well, I would, and I think too, for the, for the average learner, and I, that is not a pejorative term, by the way, it's just a catch-all term. Uh, but for the average learner, you are either too heavily leaning toward an allegorical reading that is, oh, the spirit will just show me how this applies wherever I want it to, or you're leaning too heavily toward the literal, the, the literal in the not best sense of the word, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, the text is just mechanically the going to give me literal. textually literal yeah. yeah and and therefore i'm not going to there's no allegory to this there's no um layers to what i'm reading and what i want to do is help those two ideas combine um so i you know i'll get critique from both sides of oh course. why did you go allegory on that or oh why did you not go allegory on right. that and that's kind of an indicator to me that probably we're hitting right in the lane where we want to you're absolutely right Well, we are off to the races with the book of Acts and a fun start talking about lots and the ascension. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. And on our next episode... 
we're going to be back to the Apostles' Creed. Sweet. Asking the question, who is God? Do you have any thoughts on who is God, JT? A little bit. Okay, Jen, you have, <laughs> yeah. have, you, have, you, yeah. helped, okay, have you answered the question, who is God? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google some stuff before Perfect. the episode. Great, well, all Wikipedia together. Are you going to Google your own articles? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. You, have, you do have a book written on the topic, so you can bring some of that content in. See you next time. Grace and peace.